Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, our text this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We are currently in a series of sermons on the uh, doctrine of salvation, specifically the the benefits of our salvation in Christ. And we are using the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, as our outline. Uh, To this point, we have considered uh, the benefits of salvation that we receive in this life, which are, first and foremost, justification, adoption, and sanctification. But our catechism also names uh, a number of secondary benefits, uh, benefits that, that either accompany or flow from our justification, adoption, and sanctification. And these secondary benefits are assurance of God's love, Peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase in grace, and perseverance in that grace until the end. Last Sunday, we looked at the first of these secondary benefits, the assurance of God's love. And this morning, we are considering uh, the the peace and the joy uh, that are ours in Christ. The peace and the joy which are at the center of Paul's thought here in Philippians chapter 4. But before we hear the reading and the preaching of God's word, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is that imperishable seed by which we have been born again. And it is that pure spiritual milk by which we grow up in our salvation. And so, Father, we pray that as your word is here read and preached, that that you would attend to it by your spirit Uh, that you would open our ears to hear it, that you would open our hearts to love it, and that you would strengthen us to bring forth its fruit in our lives, all to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. This is the very word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you can come forward to meet me at the front. And I think most of you probably know Major and Magic, the two little boys that stay with us sometimes. You, you've seen them, right? You've seen them running around the hall, uh, screaming maybe. Um, well, you know, Magic is two years old. And while we think he's kind of special, in a lot of ways he's a typical two-year-old. And what that means is that sometimes he gets upset. And when he gets upset, he doesn't just cry, but... But sometimes he screams really loud. Have you ever heard him scream? Yeah, probably, if you've been here on Wednesday night, right? And, and sometimes not only does he scream, but sometimes he'll even throw himself on the ground when he's upset. In fact, he's thrown himself on the ground so hard that he's hurt himself a couple of times. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thrown a tantrum and, and hurt yourself? Uh, Magic does that quite often. And he does it not only at our house, but he, he does it at school too. And so his school gave us a book that they want us to read with him. Have you guys ever seen this book before? It says, Little Monkey Calms Down. <laughs> all right? This is the book, all right? And so at the, at the very beginning of the book, 
look what happens. The poor little monkey dropped his ice cream cone. Is that sad? If you had an ice cream cone and you dropped it on the ground, would you be upset? Yeah, you would probably be upset, and I think magic would be... You would drop your favorite flavors again. That would be very sad. Oh, yeah, that is kind of sad. And, and Monkey is sad, do you see? He's screaming very loud, and he's even throwing himself on the ground. You see? He's, he's, he's having a very tough time, the book says. And, and it's okay to be sad when, when bad things happen. It's okay to, to cry. But when that happens, the book says, you need to calm down. Calm down, little monkey. Calm down. And, and his favorite part of the whole book is this right here. It says, calm down, little monkey. Take a deep breath. And little magic, he likes to go. And if you do that with him, do you think he actually calms down? Oh, you don't? Okay, well. Um, but when, you, when he takes a deep breath, if I'm holding him and I say, take a deep breath, magic, take a deep breath, he'll breathe in and he'll breathe out, and he actually does calm down. Now, why do you think that works? Why do you think it works for him to, to take a deep breath while I'm holding him and he starts to calm down? Why do you think that works? You see, when, when the school gave us this book, I didn't think it was going to work. I thought it was kind of silly. But I realized that if we're holding him and he takes a deep breath, he remembers, oh, I dropped my ice cream cone, but Mr. Philip and Mr. Sarah, they're still with me, and it, it'll be okay. They can help me. And then we say, take a deep breath, magic, and use your words to tell us what's wrong. Don't just scream. Use your words, and maybe we can help you. And when we do that with magic, he actually calms down because we're holding him and we're understanding what's wrong and we're there to help him. And what I want you to understand is that what we just read in Philippians, what Paul is telling to the, to the Christians there in that church, is something very similar. He's saying, listen, when, when you're upset, when, when bad things happen, take a deep breath and remember who's with you. Do you remember what, what Paul said? Who is with them? The Lord. Jesus. He says, the Lord is at hand. He's, he's right there with you. And because he's right there with you, it's going to be okay. And you can use your words to tell him what's wrong. So when, when you're using your words to tell Jesus what's wrong, what do we call that? When you talk to Jesus, what do we call that? Praying. Praying. That's exactly right. And did you know that you guys can pray? I bet your parents pray with you. They probably pray with you when you're eating a meal. They probably pray with you when you are uh, getting ready for bed at night, right? But you can pray on your own. Did you know that? Because Jesus is with you. And you can start to learn how to pray even now. And when you're upset, when, when hard things happen, you can take a deep breath and remember, Jesus is with me. And I can, tell, I can use my words to tell him what's wrong. And do you know what Paul says? Paul says, if we will pray, if we will tell God, Jesus what's wrong, if we will talk to him when we're upset and when we're anxious and when we're afraid, if we will talk to him, he will help us calm down and he will help us not be afraid and he will help us not be anxious and he will give us his peace. Now, do you think when magic uses his words to tell us what's wrong that we always do exactly what he wants? No. no. We can't always give magic what he wants but we always help him. And it's kind of the same with God. When you tell Jesus what you want, he won't always give you exactly what you want, 
but he's always there to help you because he loves you and he is always going to work for your good. All you have to do is talk to him. All you have to do is tell him you're upset and tell him uh, uh, why, you're, why you're crying and ask him to help and he always will. And because we can talk to Jesus and because he's there to help us, that's one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. All right, you guys can go sit down. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, this text that we're looking at today, this this text that that focuses on the ideas of of joy and peace. Look there in in verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a a command you're familiar with. It's It's a command you've heard before. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and just in case we think he's exaggerating or, or, or something, he, he says it again. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. And then at the end of the paragraph, in verse 7, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so here in these verses, Paul is taking up these, these joined ideas of joy and peace. And I say that they are joined because, really, peace and joy cannot be separated. The person who knows true joy will be at peace. He will be at peace even in tumultuous circumstances because he has that that joy. And when the person has peace, he will know true joy. And so peace and joy go together. And we see that in this text. He, He begins by saying rejoice, and he ends by promising that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And this is something that all of us want. This is is something that all of our hearts desire. The the human heart longs for this peace and this joy that that Paul is talking about. It it knows uh, that that this peace, this, this joy, is the greatest treasure that it can obtain. And so, it's why we are inundated with advice about how to to get these treasures. I I used to say, just go to the the bookstore and and go into the the self-help aisle, and you will find row after row of books about how to obtain peace, how to to get joy. But the the truth is, most people don't go to bookstores anymore. So so go on Amazon and and search. Just search for what the, the most popular books are, or if you're on social media, uh, you will be inundated with ads for maybe not books, but, but programs that, that people have designed, maybe YouTube videos that people have designed telling you how you can find real peace, how you can find real joy. The advice is everywhere because everyone wants it and, and people are willing to, to sell their advice to make a profit. But despite the universal quest for peace and joy, and and despite the the constant influx of advice on how to get it, most people find joy and peace to be elusive. They, They find it to be almost unattainable in this life. Most people would not say that peace and joy are their common experience. Peace and joy are not their status quo, but on the contrary... Most people's lives are marked by frustrations and anxieties and disappointments. Most people know discontent far more often than true contentment. People are restless more often than they are at rest. 
They have moments of joy, moments of peace, but they are fleeting and fragile. And it is these these short tastes of, of peace and joy that only intensifies the frustration of their common experience. And so we have this longing together with everyone else, but we struggle to satisfy it. The question is, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, I want you to see here in this passage is that Paul makes it clear that that it is our desire for joy and peace is not the problem. Our desire for joy and peace is is not where we go wrong. We are supposed to have joy and peace. We were created for joy and peace. And joy and peace have been restored to us in Christ. And that's that's significant. We we need to start there because we we need to understand that Paul does not say that that it is the selfish sinner who desires joy and peace, but but the true Christian doesn't think about his own happiness. The true Christian doesn't doesn't think about his own contentment. The the true Christian simply does his duty. We sometimes think that way. We we think that's what the the Christian life is. But the the truth of the matter is that that, that the the Bible never calls upon us to, to renounce our desire for joy and peace. Even Jesus calls to deny ourselves and take up our cross. If, if ever there was a verse that sounded like we were supposed to, to set aside our desire for joy and peace, it would be Jesus' call to deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow him. And yet even there, Jesus commands us and calls us to deny ourselves Not because the desire for joy and peace is wrong, but but actually so that we might obtain it. The reason he calls on us to deny ourselves and and take up our cross is so that we might find true life. That we might have that which he calls abundant life. We see the same thing here in Paul. Paul is not calling on us to, to renounce our desire and peace. He is actually commanding us to pursue them. He's commanding us to have them. He knows that joy and peace have been made available to us in Christ, and now he says we must lay hold of them for ourselves. And so to that end, to this end of of having true joy and lasting peace, I want us to consider carefully what Paul says here in these few verses. Because here in these verses, he shows us the ground of our peace. He shows us what makes our joy and our peace possible in this world where joy and peace are so elusive. Secondly, he he shows us what the experience of this joy and this peace look like. Sometimes uh, we we can't find joy and peace because we don't really know what they are. We don't really know what they look like. And third, he shows us how we can lay hold of the joy and the peace that are available to us in Christ. So let's begin with the ground of our peace. And we we see it there at the very beginning. Notice what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord. We we always focus on this rejoice always. And and there are so many who who find that command to be uh, an absolute impossibility. How can anybody rejoice always? Don't you know what this world is like? Don't you know the things that, that happen Don't you know the frustrations that we encounter on a a daily basis? How can you say rejoice always? Well, Paul doesn't say simply rejoice always. Notice what he says. He says rejoice in the Lord always. 
And that's, that's the key to understanding what Paul is getting at. The, the reason that the world finds peace and joy so elusive is because the peace and the joy uh, that they so desire are available only in Christ. Apart from Him, all joys are fragile. Apart from Him, all peace is fleeting. And so what Paul is commanding us here is that we would rejoice in the Lord. It's, it's what the old hymn says. Do you, do you remember that old, old hymn? It says, solid joys and lasting treasures only Zion's children know. Only those who are in Christ, only those who are citizens of, of his kingdom, only they know the, the joy and the peace for which we were created. Only they possess the joy and the peace for which our hearts long. Joy and peace is found only in the Lord. And that is, first, because He is the Lord. Think about what that language means. If you turn into the Old Testament, which would have been the, the primary Bible uh, that, the, that, that the Christians of the first century knew, the Lord is the name that is used for Yahweh, the, the, the creator of heaven and earth. The all-powerful God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The, the God who sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. It is in him that we are to rejoice. But why? Why do we rejoice in the Lord? The Lord could, could be a threat as easily as, uh, as a help. Why do we rejoice in the Lord? Well, Paul tells us we rejoice in the Lord because he is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? What does it mean to say that he is at hand? There are, there are some who have read this as a, as a reference to, to Jesus' imminent return. The, the Lord is at hand in the sense that he is, he is about to return. He is, he is coming again and it's, and it's going to happen any day now. But there are others who, who recognize that, that Paul is not here exclusively referring to the Jesus' second coming. There's, there's no reason to exclude that. Uh, we do know that Jesus is coming again. We do know that he is coming to bring to completion the good work that he has begun. But we, we don't have to think that this is merely a reference to some future event. To say that the Lord is at hand is to, is to describe our present reality. He is presently with us. He's close enough to touch. The Lord is at hand. The, the maker of heaven and earth. The almighty God who, who commands hosts of angels. The almighty God who does whatever he pleases. He is with you. And because he is with you, you are able to rejoice always. It doesn't mean, as you, as you know, it doesn't mean that you will never pass through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean that you will not experience struggles. It does not mean that you will experience frustrations. You will in this present evil age. That's what Paul calls it. He says this present age is an evil age. It is an age that is full of trouble. And you will experience trouble. Just think of the, the things that, that Rodney named in his prayer. <coughs> we experience trouble in this life. But we do not experience trouble as those without hope. We pass through those waters, we pass through those fires, knowing that the Lord is with us. And because He is with us, we will not be overwhelmed. Because He is with us, we will not be consumed. 
That's what Paul is reminding us of here. Why can we have joy always? We can have joy always because the Lord is at hand. We can have joy always because the Lord is with us. Whatever troubles we experience in this life, they cannot truly harm us. They cannot truly undo our good. Even death itself, Paul says, for the one who is in the Lord, even death is gain. Death has no sting. It has no threat for the believer. Because we are in the Lord. And in Him, our good is unassailable. It's what you heard in the assurance of pardon this morning, that, that text from, from 1 Peter chapter 1. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Just, just think about the wonder of that. That's what is ours in Christ. And it is that inheritance that is even now being kept for us as we are being kept for it. That's why Peter can say that our salvation is ready to be revealed. We don't yet see it in full, but it is there. It is accomplished. And it is unassailable. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and whose glory never fades. This is what is ours in the Lord. This is, this is what is ours because the Lord is with us. That's why Paul can say here in Philippians chapter 4 that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. We rejoice because the Lord is at hand. So what does this joy look like? What does it look like to, to have this joy in the Lord, this, this unassailable joy in Christ? Well, well, Paul gives us two perspectives on this joy here in these verses. First is the one maybe that we're, we're most familiar with. He, he says it right at the end there in verse 7. He says that, that this experience of joy looks like a freedom from anxiety. Look again at what Paul writes. There in verse 6 he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That image of, of guarding is the, the image of a, of a garrison protecting a city. A, a, an image that would have been familiar to, to Philippi, to, to the people who lived there, who, who saw the Roman guards all their life. And so here Paul says, imagine that garrison, imagine that garrison as the peace of God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. What, is it, what does it mean for your, for your mind to be guarded? What are they guarding your heart from? From all that causes anxiety, from all that threatens your, your peace. What is it that, that, that upsets you? It's probably not your ice cream on the ground as it is for, for magic, but, but there are those things. What are those things that, that upset you? It is possibly false Accusations, false accusations that, that come against you, which remind you that you are, are guilty, but, but more than that, suggest that your guilt is the kind of guilt that could never be forgiven. Sometimes this guilt, the, sometimes these accusations come from the outside. Sometimes they come from your own heart. Sometimes they, they come from your, your spiritual enemies, that old uh, uh, triad of the, the world, the flesh, and 
the devil. They attack us, and, and one of the things they attack us with are false accusations, accusations that suggest that we are beyond the reach of God's grace, that our sin is unique, that our, our sin sets us apart, that our, our sin sets us beyond the hope of the gospel, and we feel condemned. But not only is it false accusations as we, as we see our sin clearly that, that threaten our peace, it is also sometimes false threats. Threats that suggest that, that rather than being for us, God is against us. We see this in the Psalms all the time, do we not? People come against David and say, oh, if God was really for you, this wouldn't be happening. If God was, was really for you, he would have provided you salvation. If God was really for you, you wouldn't be living in the wilderness. If God was really for you, you wouldn't be hiding in a cave. If God was really for you, you wouldn't be living beyond the, the borders of Israel in some foreign land. You need to, you need to set aside your delusion that, that God is for you. And, and you need to accept the reality. You need to accept the reality that he will not protect you or provide for you. Those thoughts ever troubled your mind? Have you ever wondered whether God was really for you? Have you ever wondered whether or not God would really provide for you? Have you ever wondered whether he would really protect you, whether he really would work for your good? Those are the false threats that disrupt our peace, and they are lies. Whether they come again from your own heart, whether they come from the world, whether they, they come from us, the, the spiritual forces of darkness... These are false threats. God has said, I am with you. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has said, I will work all things together for the good of those who love you. And his peace guards us from those false threats. But it's not only the, the threat of harm that can undermine our peace. It's not only the, the threat of, of harm uh, that can disturb us. Sometimes it's the the promise of good. Remember in the parable of the sower? Yes, the, the scorching sun kept the seed from being fruitful, but so did the desire for the things of this world choke it out. Both harm and desire can keep us from the peace of God. And so not only does God's peace protect us from false threats, it also protects us from false promises. The kind of false promises that, that Satan has been making from the beginning. That, that, that subtle suggestion that your true good is to be found elsewhere. Your true good is not found in, in walking in accord with God's word. Your, your true good is not found in denying yourself and following Jesus. Your true good is found in doing what's right in your own eyes. Your true good is found in doing your own thing, going your own way, grasping for yourself that which your heart desires. And again, it is the peace of God that protects us from those false promises. It is the, the peace of God who comes in and reminds us that our life consists not in the abundance of pleasures or, or, or treasures. Our, our life consists not in the, the praise of men. But our life is found in Him. To know Him, this is eternal life. In Him, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. The peace of God comes in and protects us. It guards us and it sets us at peace, protecting us from the anxiety and the, the agitation of these false accusations, these false threats, these, these false promises. 
And so there is an inward peace that comes. That, that, that inner peace is the, the expression of the joy that is ours in the Lord. But notice, it's not merely an inter, inner peace. It's, it's not merely this, this peace that, that, that surpasses all understanding. There's an outward expression as well. We, we see that in verses 4 and 5. Look again at what Paul says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now that phrase there at the beginning of verse 5 that is translated, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, it is, it is often translated as gentleness. In fact, I think, uh, if I checked correctly, I think the ESV might be the only English translation that, that renders this as, as reasonableness. It's a word that is often translated as, as gentleness. But you have to understand, those, those two translations are not as far apart as they at first seem. To be reasonable, what does that mean? To be reasonable is to, is to act in accord with the world as it is. That's reasonable. If you uh, see the world through your, your rose-tinted glasses, if you have this sort of Pollyanna optimism, you make unreasonable decisions. You make decisions that aren't based in reality. To be reasonable is to, to live with the world the way that it is. And, and to be gentle is actually the same. To be gentle is to treat other people as people. It is to treat them as, as fellow image bearers of God rather than objects to be used or, or are manipulated for your own ends. The, the person who, who sees others as, as objects, the, the person who sees others as, as means to an end is harsh, is, is demanding, uses too much force. To get his way. The, the gentle person is gentle simply because he is treating other people as people. He is being reasonable. He's acting in the world in accord with how it actually is. And so what you see is that, is that reasonableness expresses itself in gentleness with others. And gentleness is reasonable because it's, it's grounded in uh, the truth. And both, both result in peaceful relationships. You see, this joy that Paul is talking about, it, it expresses itself not only in an internal peace, but in an interpersonal peace, a peace with others. When, when you have joy, you are able to live at peace with others. When you know your joy is unassailable, when you know your joy cannot be threatened, you do, do not have to use too much force when dealing with your neighbors. You do not have to lie and manipulate. You do not have to, 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 to grasp at your own way. You do not have to be demanding. So far as it depends on you, you can live at peace with others. Now, there will always be those who do not live at peace with you. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 12. He says, listen, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. There will always be in this fallen world those who will not live at peace with you. But if you are rejoicing in the Lord, if you are rooted in the joy that is yours in Christ, then you will be able to live at peace with others. And this is what joy looks like. It, it looks like this, this inner peace and where your mind and your heart is guarded by God that expresses itself in an interpersonal peace, a, a peace of relationship with those whom God has called you to live with. And the experience of this peace, the experience of this, this inner peace expressed in an external peace, this is the joy. This is the joy 
that Paul is calling us to have. That's, that's the logic here. He says, rejoice. How? By being reasonable or gentle. How then? How do you do that? By not being anxious, but instead resting in God's all-surpassing peace. How do you experience this joy? How do you rejoice always? By standing firm in the peace that is yours in Christ Jesus. This then brings us to our third and final point. If if we get this joy, if we experience this joy by by standing in peace, how how do we do that? How do we get this peace that leads to joy? How do we get this peace that is the root of the joy uh, that Paul says is rightfully ours, the joy of our salvation? Well, again, Paul makes this clear. How do we get this peace that leads to joy? Notice again what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we get this peace? Through thankful petition. That's what Paul says. He says, when you engage in thankful position, rather than worrying, rather than anxiety, rather than agitation, rather than anger, when you engage in thankful petition, the peace of God will guard your hearts. And you will be set free to rejoice always. To rejoice regardless of your circumstances. So first it is petition. It is prayer. It is is supplication. This is what we are being called to. We are being called to pray. As I said to the kids, you you probably pray with your meals. You might even pray at, at bedtime. And that is good. That is a good beginning. But what we are called to is to pray without ceasing. We are, we are called to, to live in a, in a constant communication with our Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. Throughout the day, make your cares and your concerns known to the Lord. Talk to Him. Use your words, as we say to magic. Use your words to tell Him what's on your mind, what's upsetting you, what's, what's agitating you. Yes, have those set times of prayer. There, that is tremendously valuable. But do not forget your relationship with the Lord in the in-between times. Live in constant communication with Him. And pray about everything. Don't don't think that that what's agitating you is is too small a thing or too silly a thing to, to talk to God about. Talk to Him about what is making you anxious. Talk to Him about what is upsetting you. Talk to Him about the the source of your anxiety. Speak to Him about about the fact that you, you need a parking spot. Paul, Paul, uh, Paul Miller in his book on, on the praying life, he, he, he has a section in there that says, should we pray for parking spots? <laughs> Is that something that's too small? Is that something that's too inconsequential? Is that something that's, that's too selfish? He says, of course not. <laughs> your, your, your heavenly Father delights to give you good gifts. And if there's some spiritual reason why you don't need that parking spot, he won't give it to you. But you don't need to make that call. Pray for what you need. Pray for what you need. I can, I can tell you last night at 1.30, Magic woke up for like the 10th night in a row. And I pray earnestly 
In the middle of the night, please let this boy sleep. <laughs> please let this boy go back to sleep. I need to sleep. I don't function well without sleep. Sarah somehow does it. I don't function. I need sleep. Pray. And in that moment, I'm learning a reality that I should have already known. Because it's not only at 1.30 in the morning when I need magic to sleep that I should be praying. It is throughout the day. Lord, I've got this phone call. Be with me. Give me the words to say. I'm going to visit this person. Help me to be a blessing to them. I've got to make this decision. Give me your, your wisdom. Lord, I need a parking spot. Help me to find it. We can pray about everything. We can pray about anything. By, by prayer and supplication, we make our needs known to our Heavenly Father. For He is with us. And because He is with us, we can have peace. But notice, it's not just petition. It is thankful petition. It is petition with thanksgiving. Now think about why that matters. There, there are different ways to make your needs known, right? There, there's, a, there's a demanding way to make your need known. God, you better come through. And there is a despairing way to make your need known. God, I know, I know you're probably not listening and you probably don't care and you probably aren't going to do it, but, but someone told me I was supposed to pray, so would you please? There's, there's the demanding, there's the despairing, and Paul says, no. We don't go there. That's not how we pray. We pray with thanksgiving. We pray with a, a memory of God's faithfulness and an assurance of what he is not only able to do, but what he delights to do for his children. It's what we see all the time in the Psalms, is it not? We see the psalmist returning back to, to what God has done in the past. Remember when God did this. Remember when God brought us up out of Egypt. Remember when he, he brought us across the Red Sea. Remember when he, he fed us in the wilderness. Remember when he, he brought us into the promised land. Remember when he, he gave us David, a, a, God, a king after his own heart. Remember the good things that God has done. Remember his, his steadfast love and his covenant faithfulness. And rest assured that he has not changed. That he will still work good for those who love him. And so it's prayer with thanksgiving. Make your petitions known to God, remembering who he is and what he has done and what he has promised to do. And if we learn to pray that way, we will be set free to rejoice. And to rejoice always. To rejoice in all circumstances because the peace that he gives... The peace is a peace that surpasses understanding. It, it is a peace that, that doesn't make sense to the world. It's a peace that is not lodged in our circumstances. Your circumstances haven't changed. Your circumstances are anything but peaceful, but somehow you're at peace. That doesn't make sense. It's beyond understanding. Because what they don't know is that the Lord is at hand. He is with us. And because He is with us, the floods and the fires... Do not upset us. Yes, we groan. Yes, we may even shed a few tears. But even as we grieve and even as we groan, we rejoice in the Lord. Because our hope is in Him and it is unassailable. But notice, notice that, that Paul doesn't say this happens automatically. I said we would be set free to rejoice, but there's an imperative here. There's a command. You have to lay hold of this. You have to train yourself to rejoice. You have to 
practice and to exercise what is rightfully yours in Christ. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to work at it. And so if you have found joy and peace to be elusive in this present evil age, if you find yourself focusing more on on what is out of joint and what is wrong and what makes you anxious or what makes you agitated or what makes you angry, then you need to hear Paul's command. His command is to rejoice. And we obey that command by making our petitions known. We have to practice. We have to, we have to exercise what is ours that we might enter, into, enter fully to the joy of our salvation. But notice what he says. If we will, when we do, when we pray with thanksgiving to God, when we make our cares and our concerns known, when we simply use our words to express to him what's making us anxious, then the peace of God will guard our hearts. The peace of God will rule. The peace of God will set us free to rejoice. And because God will do this, because he will set us free to enter fully into the joy of his salvation, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Let's believe it together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. The mercy and grace, Father, that have set us free from our sin to rejoice in the Lord always. Father, may you teach us to be people of prayer. May you teach us to be people who who use our words to speak to you about what's making us anxious, that we might know the joy of your salvation in full, and that we might live at peace with others. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, and for your name's sake, amen.